Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and our alumni have an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello and welcome to All in a Day's Work. My name is Emily Anderson, and today I'm thrilled to be speaking with Emmanuel Moses, the Associate Director of College Guidance and Transition at the Opportunity Network. Emmanuel, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. First, just wanted to ask, how did you first become interested in education? Well, to be honest, I always wanted to be a high school English teacher ever since sixth grade. So what do you do if you want to be a teacher? You go to college. So I am a proud alum of Steinhardt, class of 2007, English education, and then eventually social education in 2010. But I think for me beyond that, I, a lot of my family, most of my family has always been in public service, whether it's working in housing or in homesteading here in Harlem. And it just felt the natural thing to do to be able to connect with students. And a lot of my internships throughout high school had to do with working with youth. So that was the natural next step to become the one thing I knew about education, a teacher. So Steinhardt it was. You mentioned that you eventually got your master's at NYU in sociology of education. What inspired you to take that step, and how did that decision play into your career trajectory? Ah, uh, the the wonderful how did you do such? So um, best laid plans. That is that is the easiest way to describe this because young Manny, I also go by Manny, thought that hey, the next step to be after a high school teacher is principal, right? So in the state of New York, to have permanent certification as a teacher, you need a master's degree. So right after I finished undergrad and was certified to teach, I decided, hey, let's apply to grad school already. Let's get that situated, get that out of the way. And I applied for educational leadership. Foolishly, little did I know that you can't really be a leader in a school if you've never taught. So I was summarily rejected. After that sort of hurt my ego, I was fortunate enough that I had a full-time job at my uh, for my student job at Campus Media that I had something to do. But then I did my due diligence and sort of start to research what I would want to do in terms of going for further education, as well as utilizing my resources and asking my dean what I should do. This is Dean Patricia Carey. And I looked at and found sociology of education, which ironically led me to my path outside of the classroom. Because, again, hearkening back to my own sort of lived experience, I grew up in a place of where service and, to be honest, working in communities of color has always been a thing. So most teacher education programs don't really spend a lot of time on that, talking about the communities you serve. It's a lot of curriculum, a lot of content knowledge. So sociology of education just seemed right. There were teachers and professors and advocates in the space that really appealed to me. So it seemed like the right thing to do. So after getting rejected from the first one, I applied to Social Ed, uh, got a letter of recommendation from Dean Carey, and then got in. As we mentioned previously, you now work at the Opportunity Network, but I know you've had several jobs leading up to that. Could you describe the path you went on from getting your bachelor's to where you are now at the Opportunity Network? Sure thing. Ultimately, I actually tap back to Lee Frizzell. I, I don't know if he's still at Steinhardt. Lee Frizzell told me about an organization called the College Advising Corps that was starting its inaugural cohort at NYU that places recently graduated undergrad students 
and one grad student in Title I High Need High Schools in New York as a full-time college advisor. I was like, okay, why not? I applied. I put in my two weeks notice at Campus Media. I trained and then got placed in a failing high school in the South Bronx and did everything outside of just being a college advisor. So I was the staff representative for the student council. I barbecued during the end of year party. I lost three student staff basketball games, but I was also there chasing down students, not only to talk about SAT registration, but also reaffirm that, yes, you can still go to college. Yes, you can do that. So I was like, this is what I want to do. Keep me on, keep me on. And they were respectfully like, no. But fortunately, in New York City, the college access space, there are plenty of other organizations, community-based organizations doing this work. So I went on interview after interview, looking for something more sustainable that wasn't a one-year commitment. And I applied for a program assistant position because I loved a lot of the things that they focused on outside of college access. So I was like, this is great. And yes, I may not be doing college work, but I'm in a space that focuses on these things that I learned about and maybe could put language and sort of names to in grad school. I applied for the program assistant position. The person who was running the college guidance program was transitioning out of their role. And they were very, very transparent saying, hey, we're going to move your application from the program assistant position to the manager of college guidance. I was like, yes, great. And then I signed on the dot in August 2013 and have been there ever since. I love hearing about, you know, the genuine progression of experience and responsibility and really think it is such important work. So really appreciate, you know, the mission and goals of the Opportunity Network. On that note, could you just explain a little bit more about what the Opportunity Network is and your current role in the organization? Sure thing. So the Opportunity Network, or OpNet for short, because it's annoying to say Opportunity Network consistently, on face value are a college and career success organization. So this is one of the things that we do. We work with students from underrepresented populations, historically marginalized, we're talking BIPOC, first-gen, low-income immigrant households, to and through their college career. So we work with them the summer before junior year of high school all the way till college graduation. So there are various aspects of the programming that are very similar to a lot of our peer organizations. So I run the college guidance and transition team. So we talk about finding best fit for college, how to navigate the financial aid process, your personal statements, everything to apply to a school that is good enough for you, not you're good enough for it, and even matriculating through that program. And we also support them as they navigate these spaces. Where I think we are different a little bit than some of our peers is that we focus not on just this idea of, hey, go to school, hey, listen to your parents, listen to society, and you'll be able to be successful. Really acknowledging the importance of building up this social capital. My father, I've been fighting him for all my life and saying that he doesn't know better. But when he did tell me consistently that it's not about what you know, but who you know, there is no truer word spoken. And when you're talking to a student who can't necessarily pick their parents or the zip code they're born into, there are so many things that they are at a disadvantage from to navigate this world. We're talking about everything from this sense of what professionalism means and we've had, we, uh, approach that head on from the very first time that we meet with them. We talk about what professionalism has meant in this country, which is usually based off of white male European norms, but also giving them the tools to navigate that and find their own sense of professionalism and bringing that authenticity and that comfort and that 
confidence into any opportunity where they're networking with a professional. If a student, or we call them fellows, are interested in the nonprofit space or, in all honesty, need to get some studio time to be able to put together an album that combines their passion for social justice and creative arts, we will make sure that gets paid so that doesn't stymie their process of understanding what their career path looks like. So our, our one of our taglines is to college, to career, to thrive. But that idea that I think we really put a huge sort of sense on is that idea of thriving how you want to authentically, especially when you're coming into plenty of spaces that aren't necessarily historically built for communities that they're coming from, but also making students feel comfortable to navigate that space, enter that space, demand their presence be heard, and also, more importantly, being able, comfortable to ask for help. That is what makes us unique and also is something that we really hearken to when we're talking about the work that we do and why all students, especially the students we work with, should have access to this. And now, a word from Kurt Davies, Director of Global Awards for NYU's New York City campuses. The Global Awards team is made up of full-time staff and graduate assistants who are here to help NYU undergrads and recent alumni seek out, apply for, and hopefully win nationally competitive scholarships and fellowships. These awards, which include programs like Fulbright, Rhodes, Gilman, Truman, and many more, provide funding for a wide range of opportunities on campus and beyond. We have awards that support studying abroad, language study, and undergraduate research. We manage a wide range of graduate school scholarships and programs that provide funding for international teaching and internships. We can help you figure out which awards are the best fit for you and support you at all stages of the application process, whether that's helping develop your essays, discuss letters of recommendation, or preparing for a selection interview. Whether you already have a specific opportunity that you're looking to fund, or you would like to explore all of the resources available to you, we're here to help. While some awards do have specific eligibility requirements, there are opportunities that you can apply to as early as your first year and throughout your undergraduate career, and even after you graduate. Wherever you are in your NYU journey, and whatever academic background you have, we can help you find the best programs to support you and your goals. To learn more about our office and the programs we support, or to make an appointment with one of our advisors, visit our website at www.nyu.edu slash global dash awards. While our team works exclusively with New York-based undergrads and alumni, if you're based in Abu Dhabi or Shanghai, or if you're a graduate student, you have your own dedicated Global Awards office. You can find their contact information on our website as well. We look forward to working with you and helping you find the resources you need to realize the world you want. Now back to the show. Switching back to something we've, we've already mentioned, but something we talk about on the show all the time, but the importance of networking. Your role involves supporting students through networking. And, you know, we've already talked about how that's played a role in your own career path. What advice would you have for people who aren't sure where to start with networking or how to maintain their network? Well, I'm going to sort of use my own personal aspect. I am socially awkward and I really hate to be in big spaces. <laughs> so networking is something that I can do for others, but not necessarily for me. So I think first and foremost, I think the thing to acknowledge is it's hard and not everyone can necessarily feel successful at it right away, but then unpack that and say that networking isn't right or wrong. 
it's you sort of feeling comfortable in how you want to present yourself. And honestly, automatically understanding that you don't have to necessarily go into spaces that are new to you. Start with your own community that you have. Everyone has a network. No matter where you come from, zip code, country, like your family community, your church community, your neighborhood, your school. So practicing those skills first and foremost by automatically using the networks that you are already tied into will do two things. Number one, make you realize the, the strength of your own network, regardless of what's seen as a community or space with privilege or access to resources, because you don't know what you don't know or who knows who, but also gets you sort of that swing of things of being comfortable to, again, regardless of how you identify first gen or not, asking for help, asking for things and being able to be comfortable to put together that elevator pitch or make that ask. And then that'll definitely make you feel more comfortable with how you want to present yourself. Also reaffirm the things about you that you feel are important and then start to slowly but surely expand your network and tap into other ones that you aren't necessarily as comfortable with, think that you are as this tapped into. Um, and one last thing that I will definitely say, it is never too late or too long to reach back out to a former contact. There is nothing wrong with reaching back out and checking in and saying, hey, how are things going? I'd like to connect with you. Worst thing that happens is that they respond to your email with a, I don't know you. <laughs> one of the things that's going to probably happen is that they maybe not respond. The next thing that kind of is like, sure, I've got time and seeing what that looks like. Because I can guarantee you most people have done that before. And this idea of the definition of networking, as we tell our fellows, is the art of building and sustaining mutually beneficial relationships. Someone has done it for them, so they'll more than likely want to do it for someone else. Totally agree with you there. Recognizing the network and the community that's around you to really lean on them for support and guidance is definitely the way to go. You've held multiple roles at the OpNet. What have been some of the challenges since transitioning into more higher leadership roles? So each role that I've had is a role that never previously existed. And that was because of growth. When I first started at OpNet, we had 60 students in the senior class. As of now, we have 160. So, of course, that required more staff, a bigger team, also different approaches to how we support students. So just capacity and size has required a bigger team. And then me being the lead of the team, having to work with more individuals to meet the needs of our ever-growing population. What has been the most difficult aspect of that is being a better manager, having the awareness of how working with people, not only direct reports, but working across teams, so managing up, managing across, takes a lot of trial and error and vulnerability for when you make mistakes, um, seeking out support, seeking out professional development, and also realizing when you have made a mistake, but working together. So I think the hardest thing for me has been to realize that I have to understand the needs of not only my students, but also the needs of my team, especially in a, in a virtual pandemic, very, very consistently traumatic space where there's consistent violence against black and brown bodies. And many of my staff, myself included, identify as such. So how to necessarily meet them where they're at and treat them as people first, but also hold them accountable. 
I think the hardest thing to do in any space of leadership is identifying what type of leader you want to be and understanding that one way of working with one person or even holding yourself accountable is not the way that you can approach working with a bigger team and with different individuals. I think it's it's also really valuable what you said about how that changes based on what's happening in the world and the global context that's, that's happening and, and changing every day. So I really appreciate your perspective on that. What advice do you have for people who are passionate about education, but are unsure if they want to go into teaching? Ah, so again, you can take my story, but I do think it's very, very hard, especially when the ways that we all engage with education throughout our formal education is in a classroom setting to see beyond that. Plenty of my colleagues, my classmates during my time, step foot in a classroom and were like, no, this is not for me. But then of course they may have been in a situation like, okay, I don't know what else do I need to pivot something else. But I do think in terms of outside of there, if you're not quite sure what you want to do, I think talking to more and more people in the profession and also understanding that education isn't just a classroom based or a school based thing, that takes a little bit more work. And there's some fear that you have now been trained to do one thing how do I necessarily go do something else? I think it's, again, this idea of being comfortable saying, I don't know, and then asking around, asking your professors who may have taught in a classroom or may have not, and just talking about your passion and what you're looking like, but not being quite sure where you want to find that. May They, they may connect you with this idea of, hey, you can be a full-time college advisor. Oh, that's a thing? And you don't have to be a guidance counselor? Oh, what's a community-based organization? Oh, I really love writing and putting in policy. Hey, you should look at this master's program. Also, if you can have someone who is an amazing person who kicks you behind and says, stop setting up projectors, that's also a good impetus. But I think also being comfortable and knowing that there's nothing wrong with being unsure but also, if you are at a university, whether it's NYU or anywhere else, you are never going to be at another place in your time where there are so many other individuals, whether they're college students or also professionals who've gone through that same process and are there at your disposal, whether it's Wasserman, hey Wasserman, whether it's your professors, whether it's departments, there's nothing to say that you cannot necessarily, with your wonderful NYU ID, which is still active, I think even after you graduate, congrats, grads, walk into any department and see if you can talk with a professor, even if you aren't a student. Worst thing they say is no. When you sort of realize it's not what's going to work, it is not a negative thing to go and ask other people who are probably just as confused. Just wrapping up our final question of the day, What's next for you? So at OpNet, we're doing some work to see how we want to shift and I will be there and however they need me. But I also engage in the space of college access in many different ways. So um, I serve on a variety of boards for institutions. I'm part of New York State ACAC as not only I've just been nominated as a delegate, but I'm also the co-chair for the Coming Together Conference, which is the beginning of our annual conference where we have conversations about this. So I think for me, it's continuing to find like-minded individuals and, and make change wherever I can. So whether that's membership organizations, sitting on advisory councils, I think even personally for me, maybe looking back into my own leadership and my own growth beyond OpNet. So I was fortunate enough to be a part of the inaugural cohort of the Community Fellows Program under the Institute for Nonprofit Practice that are 
was a great space, even though we stopped midway through the pandemic, to connect with other people in the nonprofit space and look at ways to sort of continue to build our growth. I'm looking at other opportunities to do such. I've applied to some and been rejected. Real talk, that's how it is. But also looking ways to, I guess, invest in myself and, and push myself to see what else I would like to do or what type of leader I'd want, want to be. I guess, again, circling back full place, not being complacent as to where I am. And that takes requirement of me to take stock of what I need to do and what work needs to be put in on my end to continue to be the the person in this space that I want to be. Wishing you nothing but the best. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and share your experiences with the NYU community. This has been Emily Anderson with another episode of All in a Day's Work. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log on to our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Emily Anderson with episode guest Emmanuel Moses. We're produced by Sarah Rosenthal and Ben Barzilai, edited by Ben Barzilai, and created with support from Danielle Crystal, Haley Garofalo, and Joseph Mercadante. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.